Would you please turn with me to your study outlines, uh, page three and your study outline there in your program. And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are watching online. We are so glad that you are with us this past week. I got an email uh, from a couple uh, that were, they said they were outside of a McDonald's in Gossler, Germany, uh, watching our church service. And they just thanked me for the church service. And here they were in Goss, outside of a McDonald's in Gossler, Germany, um, uh, watching our broadcast. And so for those of you, different places around the world or the country or in our community, we are so glad that you are joining us in this study as well. The title of the series has been The Former, which is a study of the Ten Commandments. And today we're going to jump to the fifth commandment. We've done two. We should be at three. We'll come back and pick up numbers three and four. But we're jumping ahead to number five because this is Father's Day. Um, Complete the cycle of love. Now, it's an unusual title uh, for a Ten Commandments series, the former. Well, it's based on Matthew 23, verse 23, where Jesus said to the Pharisees, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. He's talking about tithing. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Jesus said the most important matters of the law are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And so we are uh, committed to those things here at our church. Um, funny thing happened um, on Thursday night. Uh, I'm in here at uh, 7 o'clock, and it's all dark in here. And I just try to come in once a week and just pray for the services, pray for you all, pray for our church. So I'm in here sitting in the dark praying. And Jeff Snodder, who's one of the heads of our social justice ministry, fighting human trafficking, part of uh, traffic-free Pomona, is just a real leader with that. Jeff Snodder, he's also part of our custodial team. And so he's in there here in the dark, and he's cleaning that door right over there. So I creep up the aisle, and I'm kneeling behind a bench right there. He happens to come walking over to me, and I start whispering, Jeff, my servant, eliminate human trafficking. Jeff, my servant, eliminate. And he practically had a heart attack. He's like, oh, my God. And I stand up, and I said, hey, it's just me. And he goes, oh, oh. But then he was disappointed. He thought, I thought I had heard the literal voice of God. Yeah, you know, I was all excited. So anyway, we are committed as a church to justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But here's the key for our series. You should have practiced the latter, those things, without neglecting the former. So there's two parts of the Christian life. There's justice, mercy, faithfulness, love, helping people in need, but there's also living a godly, righteous life, the former. And part of the former is the Ten Commandments. Now, Psalm 119, verse 32 The psalmist says, I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Now, in contemporary thinking, commands and free don't belong in the same sentence. But in the Bible, they're inexorably connected with each other. They're they're, they're woven together. It is when we obey the commands of God that our heart truly is free. In the original Hebrew that this was written to, this set my heart free, this phrase literally means you have enlarged my heart. You have swelled it with joy. It is when we obey the commands of God that we are most free. Um, Researchers did an experiment on a group of children in a play yard. And there was a high fence around the play yard, and there was busy traffic all around the schoolyard. And when the fence was there, the children played to the far corners of the play yard. Uh, they would play the whole thing. They'd go right up to the fence, and they would, play, you know, they would use the whole play yard, just enjoying it right up to the fence because they felt protected from the traffic. But as soon as they took the fences down, the children would confine themselves to the center of the play yard, kind of just playing together in the very center of it. 
You see, they felt secure when there were boundaries to do the whole thing. But when the boundaries were gone, they felt afraid and they huddled close together. And that's exactly the way it is with the commands of God. I run in the path of your commands. They protect me. They bless me. They don't hinder me. For you have set my heart free. Now, one of those commands is the fifth commandment. Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Let's read out loud together the fifth commandment. Together, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now, uh, this is a tough relationship because it takes place over a, a lifetime. It's hard to maintain the parent-child relationship and to obey this command over a, a lifetime. You have to maintain it over many chapters of your life. It can last 50 to 60 years. My mother was 40 when I was born. She was 90 when she passed away. And so that was a 50-year relationship. Some of you, it's more like a 60-year relationship. If your uh, parents, if you were, they were younger when they had you, and if they lived to be older, it, it's a long relationship. And that's tough. Speaking of long-term relationships, if you see Bill West, Bill and Jeannie West, part of our church for many years, Bill is uh, the tall, guy without any hair that just kind of is head of security. And you will see him out there protecting us. Talk about your boundary lines and your fences. When Bill West is out there, you feel safe, okay? And so if you see Bill and Jeannie, uh, welcome, uh, congratulate them. Today is their 50th wedding anniversary. 50th wedding anniversary. So uh, it, it's hard to keep a 50-year marriage going. It's hard to keep a parent-child relationship. Now, why, why is that? Well, because there's probably the greatest potential for intense emotions in the parent-child relationship. There can be a mixture of love and hate. There can be a mixture of joy and heartbreak. It's a tough combination. Why is it so hard to obey this command through all the chapters of life? Well, when you're a child, uh, we're selfish and we want my way. And so it's hard to honor your father and your mother. When you're a teenager, it just seems like your parents are hopelessly out of it. I mean, it's amazing how the IQ of my parents went up between when I was 15 and when I was 30. I mean, when you're 15, the IQ of your parents is about 30. And, 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 and they gain 10 points per year until the, you're, you're 30 years old. They go, so you start at 30. When they're 15, you get up to 180 by the time that they are 30. It's amazing how much smarter my mom and dad seemed when I got 30 than when I was 15. Young adults, it's hard to keep the command. Because we're so busy trying to build our career and start a family, and we're just so busy, it's easy to neglect our parents. And then when we get to middle age, our parents can sometimes seem like a burden on our hard-earned freedom. And so it can be tough to honor our parents then. And so we're going to talk about the different chapters. We're going to put them into two main categories. First of all, out of, secondly, out of the home, and now we're going to start within the home. Now, within the home... Uh, there are three key ways to honor our parents and to obey this command. The first is cooperation and even obedience. Ephesians 6 verse 1, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, in the Old Testament, there was direct cause and effect. You, you follow God, you get things like long life. You don't, it's, it's shortened. Uh, today, much of our reward is in heaven, you know, po post-Jesus. I mean, you could even say that, um, you know, even though Jesus lives forever, uh, you could even say that Jesus was the most obedient son that ever lived. 
And yet he died at the age of 33 with regard to his earthly ministry. And so it doesn't necessarily mean longevity and number of years, but it does mean fullness of life. It does say that it may go well with you, that you, you will enjoy a, a full, long life uh, on the earth. And I tell you, this is one that is, you can just see it in action. Um, it, it is just so true. Test this. Go to your high school reunion. And, and I can almost guarantee that, that your classmates that honored their mom and their dad, the wind has been at their backs in their life. And those that fought against that, and they rebelled against that and dishonored them, the wind is at their face. Now, you can change. That's the whole point of repentance. I mean, that's what this message is all about. We can be going one direction. We can say, I'm not going to do that anymore, and I'm going to start here. And, and so that those things can change. But in general, if we keep in that place of dishonoring our parents, it does not go well with us. The wind is at our face rather than at our, our back. Um, and so I think there's a supernatural element to that. But I think there's also a natural explanation to it as well. Um, why does God, do things tend to work better in life when we have honored our parents? Well, because in the home, we learn an important life lesson, which is how to cooperate with authority. That is one of the most important lessons to learn, how to cooperate with authority, how to realize that there are certain people in life that are smarter than us and to learn from those people. I mean, that's the basic issue with God. I think the major question in life is, who's smarter, God or me? And there are people that live their lives as if they're smarter than God, and then there are other people that live their lives as if God is smarter than them, and they can submit to his authority. They can cooperate with his authority. And I think that's one of the most important lessons that you'll learn in the home. I was talking to a couple of school teachers uh, yesterday, and, and they were talking about how this carries over into the classroom, that if children have learned to cooperate with authority in the home, it carries over to the classroom, and they're able to receive from a teacher. They're able to say, maybe, just maybe, this teacher is smarter than me, and if I cooperate with this teacher, I will learn something. I can look back on my life. I saw it with coaching. How, how if you learn to cooperate with the authority of your coach, you could grow as an athlete. If you fought against that, it would not go well for you. I remember one instance where it was on a Friday after a track practice. And, and my coach comes over to me, he says, Glenn, I want you to run 20 miles over the weekend. And my uh, teammate that was standing there, coach walked away and he goes, why do you let him treat you like that, man? Why do you let him treat you like that? And I, I remember just being like, What? No, no way. That's to my benefit. He knows when I get to the fourth quarter of the, of the state mile race in Charlottesville in a, in a few months, I'm going to need that money in the bank. Every mile you run is like a, a penny in the piggy bank, and you break that open on race day. And so he is out for my good, not for my bad, but that teammate saw this as being somehow mean to me and not something to cooperate with. It's certainly true with law enforcement. It's true with a future employer. If we can learn how to cooperate with authority in the home, we can learn how to do that in the workplace. And then now getting it back to the spiritual again, back to the supernatural, we learn to cooperate with God. And if we learn in the home to honor our parents, then we will learn outside of the home to honor God throughout our lives and to cooperate with his authority in our lives. And then things go well with us and we enjoy that blessed life on the earth. Now, this is willing obedience, not grudging obedience. Okay, this is like, not like the little boy who was in his timeout chair. And he said to his mom and dad, he says, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside, you know. And we know what that's like, don't we? Okay, we're standing on the outside, but I am, I am sitting, I'm sitting on the outside, but I am standing up on, on the inside. 
And so the Bible says it is to be willing obedience, not grudging obedience. Now pivoting to the parents and our role in this. If we can somehow, and I know this is a challenge. I mean, that's why we have child dedication and we're praying for these parents because we know the challenge they have in front of them. But if we can teach our children to cooperate with God's authority in their lives in the home, uh, they will make a difference, a greater difference in, in the outside world. Uh, we're building a legacy simply by teaching our children that lesson. A few weeks ago on Memorial Day weekend, when I'm preaching on Memorial Day weekend, I always like to do a, a person from history. That's my favorite thing to do on Memorial Day weekend. So this a uh, few weeks ago, we studied Jonathan Edwards. And uh, Jonathan and Sarah Edwards, and, and we made a case for the fact that Jonathan Edwards, even though you may not have ever heard of him before, he may have been the most influential American that ever lived. Because from his pulpit and the preaching and the things that he wrote caused the Great Awakening, which prepared the way for the American Revolution and for American independence and the Declaration of Independence and the writing of the Constitution, the founding of our country. And so he literally changed the course of history from his pulpit. But I could make an equal case that Sarah Edwards, along with Jonathan, changed the course of American history from their home, from their kitchen, from their living room. They were married in 1727. They had 11 children. During the next 173 years, historians have studied their descendants. 173 years from 1727 to the year 1900. From the, from, till 1900, from that time period, they produced 100 lawyers, 65 professors, 56 doctors, 30 judges, and 13 college presidents. They literally, from their home, provided the leadership in the first one or 200 years of the experiment of American independence. Uh, and literally, in the same way he changed the world, changed the course of the country from his pulpit, Sarah Edwards, along with Jonathan, changed the course of American history from their family life because they taught their kids how to cooperate with God's authority, and that made them world changers. Uh, Philippians 2, verse 14, do everything without complaining or arguing. Children or young adults in the home, do you want to shock your parents today? When they ask you to do something, just do it, you know. Without complaining or arguing. Now make sure they have those electrical paddles nearby for their hearts if they're not, you're not in the habit of doing this. But the Bible says do everything without complaining or arguing. Next time they ask you to do it, just cooperate. Just do it. Don't complain about it. Don't argue about it. In the home, cooperation, respect, and appreciation. You know, kids, you're... Your parents, I, this is probably an out-of-date statistic, but I remember reading years ago, the average child costs a quarter of a million dollars by the age of 18. That means Kimberly and I have one and a half million dollars in children, you know, is what we have at home. But it's not just the money, it's the time, it's the energy, it's the emotional investment. I love, you've heard me quote, you use this quote before, the quote by Irma Bombeck, it's harder to be happier than your saddest child. Boy, I love that quote. I mean, it's so, it's poignant. It's, it's kind of bittersweet, but whichever of your children is going through the hardest time, that's your ceiling on happiness. It's hard to be happier than your saddest child, and so we need to show them appreciation. Again, children, shock your parents. Uh, next time they give you a ride or make your meal or do your laundry, just say thank you. Boy, I appreciate that. Again, have the electrical paddles nearby uh, to shock them back to life if they pass out. But, you know, just show appreciation. Now, you say this whole obedience thing, Glenn, is that always the case? No, no, not always. 
It's, it's eventually things change to being the stage in life which is out of the home, either literally out of the home or financially independent, or it certainly applies when you get married. As a matter of fact, it's biblical that when you get married, your spouse has higher priority than your parents. Ephesians 5, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So the fifth commandment still applies, but it applies in different ways. First, in the area of care. If you turn to the next page of your study outline, uh, Matthew chapter 15. Uh, Jesus, again, is ripping into the Pharisees like he did back in the verse we looked at earlier, Matthew 23, Matthew 15. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother. Okay, he's saying, don't let religion get in the way of obeying God. He says, for the sake of your tradition, don't be so religious you don't obey God. For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is, uh, the word is korban, is a gift devoted to God. He is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. See, what the, the kind of the scam that the Pharisees were doing is they would designate part of their income. It's kind of like hiding it, you know, your part of your income. They would designate it as for God. Now that didn't mean that they were going to give it to God. This is not a competition between giving to God or, or taking care of your parents. They would simply designate it as, quote, for God. They'd never get around to actually giving that to God, but they would say, I can't help my parents with that because it's been de designated in that particular way. And so Jesus said, look, one of the priorities in life is to care for your aging parents. My daughter's on the front row today, to care for your aging parents to sacrifice anything financially, to put them in the best nursing home you can afford. You know, just, um, uh, just um, no. No, Leah will do a sweet job. It's Abby and Andrew that are the penny pinchers. They're going to, who knows where they're going to stick me someday. I'm telling you, man, you know. That's why in the will, we put Leah in charge of like, you know, pulling the plug and everything because Andrew and Abby go, this is costing us money. Pull the thing. You know. Okay, none of that is really funny. I'm, forgive me, forgive me. I, I, I know this is, this is near and dear to what you're living through right now. So please forgive that aside. Okay, uh, but look at the example of Jesus in John 19. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. Now here's Jesus in his moment. If there's ever a time when Jesus should be self-centered, narcissistic and selfish, it would be now. He's in torture, being executed on the cross. But here Jesus, in his last moments, when he saw his mother there, standing at the cross, and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Here's Jesus making sure his mom is cared for, even as he's being tortured in death and the cross. And according to church tradition, John fulfilled that. He kept Mary with her until she died. She went with him to Turkey, uh, uh, what is today the nation of Turkey. To, he pastored the church at Ephesus, and Mary was there. You can go there, and there's, according to tradition, the house where John and Mary lived because he took care of Jesus' mother and, until she died, and Jesus made sure that took place. And so the first is care. The second is honor. Listen to their counsel. You know, we miss out in our youth-oriented culture 
in the counsel of our parents and older adults. Because remember, they've lived chapters of life that we have not yet lived. They've been young, but we've never been old. And, and so we can benefit. That's one of the benefits of a multi-generational church. It's why I love pastoring a multi-generational church. Because the old, their wisdom can leak over to the young and the enthusiasm of the young can leak over you know, to the older. It's like Winston Churchill said, if you're not liberal when you're young, you have no heart. And if you're not conservative when you're older, you have no brain. You know, that's what Churchill said. And so we can learn from each other. The passion of youth and, and the wisdom of age can, can, can cross-pollinate in a multi-generational church. So we honor. Tell them you appreciate them. Write them a letter. You say, oh, Glenn, they know it. Ah, you can't hear it too many times. And they may not know it. And they may be gone before you've told them. Let me add one more to it. Care, honor, appreciation, forgiveness. Now, I know for some, Father's Day can be a complicated day. Maybe it wasn't the greatest relationship. Maybe there was even abuse involved, and it's led to bitterness in your life. But, you know, you can break the cycle. You can forgive. Now, that doesn't mean forget. It doesn't mean you don't still protect your family. But you can still, as an act of the will, forgive them. I mean, just before Jesus turned over the care of his mother to his disciple John, he looked at the people executing him, crucifying him, and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Does that mean that Jesus could forget what they were doing to him? I don't believe so. I mean, he could if he wanted to, but I don't think he forgot it. Does that mean that he allowed them to crucify him over and over again for all time, immemorial, into eternity? Absolutely not. But it meant that as an act of the will, he forgave them. And he calls on us to do the same. Maybe the best gift you can give your father this Father's Day, maybe the best gift you can give yourself is to forgive your dad. Uh, Maybe he was just, had the disadvantage of being a human being. Maybe your parents were just human and they did the best they could but made a few mistakes along the way and maybe they made some real bad mistakes along the way. But along with care, honor, appreciation, really for your sake, almost more than theirs. Maybe what God wants you to do is to forgive. Where are you on this cycle? Okay, if you're a child or a teenager, you're called to cooperate. If you're a young adult, you're called to honor. If you're a young parent, you're called to appreciate. If you're middle-aged, you're called to care for them. Exodus 20, verse 12. Let's put it up one last time. Let's read it out loud together. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Let's complete the cycle of love. Let's stand for our benediction. On this Father's Day, I want to pray for you now. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and all God's family said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.